Chapter 13 of David Crockett, His Life and Adventures. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Brett W. Downey. David Crockett, His Life and Adventures by John S. C. Abbott. Chapter 13. Conclusion. The fortress of Alamo is just outside the town of Bayer, on the San Antonio River. The town is about one hundred and forty miles from the coast, and contained, at that time, about twelve hundred inhabitants. Nearly all were Mexicans, though there were a few American families. In the year 1718 the Spanish government had established a military outpost here, and in the year 1721 a few immigrants from Spain commenced a flourishing settlement at this spot. Its site is beautiful the air salubrious, the soil highly fertile, and the water of crystal purity. The town of Bayer subsequently received the name of San Antonio. On the 10th of December, 1835, the Texans captured the town and citadel from the Mexicans. These Texan rangers were rude men, who had but little regard for the refinements or humanities of civilization. When Crockett, with his companions, arrived, Colonel Bowie, of Louisiana, one of the most desperate of Western adventurers, was in the fortress. The celebrated Bowie Knife was named after this man. There was but a feeble garrison, and it was threatened with an attack by an overwhelming force of Mexicans under Santa Anna. Colonel Travis was in command. He was very glad to receive even so small a reinforcement. The fame of Colonel Crockett, as one of the bravest of men, had already reached his ears. "'While we were conversing,' writes Crockett, Colonel Bowie had occasion to draw his famous knife, and I wish I may be shot if the bare sight of it wasn't enough to give a man of a squeamish stomach the colic. He saw I was admiring it, and he said, "'Colonel, you might tickle a fellow's ribs a long time, with this little instrument, before you may make him laugh.' According to Crockett's account, many shameful orgies took place in the little garrison. They were evidently in considerable trepidation, for a large force was gathering against them, and they could not look for any considerable reinforcements from any quarter. Rumors were continually reaching them of the formidable preparations Santa Anna was making to attack the place. Scouts ere long brought in the tidings that Santa Anna, President of the Mexican Republic, at the head of sixteen hundred soldiers, and accompanied by several of his ablest generals, was within six miles of Bayer. It was said that he was doing everything in his power to enlist the warlike Comanches in his favor, but that they remained faithful in their friendship to the United States. Early in the month of February, 1836, the army of Santa Anna appeared before the town with infantry, artillery, and cavalry. With military precision they approached, their banners waving and their bugle notes bearing defiance to the feeble little garrison. The Texan invaders, seeing that they would soon be surrounded, abandoned the town to the enemy and fled to the protection of the citadel. They were but one hundred and fifty in number. Almost without exception, they were hardy adventurers, and the most fearless and desperate of men. They had previously stored away in the fortress all the provisions, arms, and ammunition of which they could avail themselves. Over the battlements they unfurled an immense flag of thirteen stripes, and with a large white star of five points, surrounded by the letters Texas. As they raised their flag, they gave three cheers, while, with drums and trumpets, they hurled back their challenge to the foe. The Mexicans raised over the town a blood-red banner. It was their significant intimation to the garrison that no quarter was to be expected. Santa Anna, 
having advantageously posted his troops in the afternoon sent a summons to colonel travis demanding an unconditional surrender threatening in case of refusal to put every man to the sword the only reply colonel travis made was to throw a cannon shot into the town the mexicans then opened fire from their batteries but without doing much harm in the night colonel travis sent the old pirate on an express to colonel fanning who with a small military force was at goliad to entreat him to come to his aid goliad was about four days march from bayer the next morning the mexicans renewed their fire from a battery about three hundred and fifty yards from the fort a three-ounce ball struck the juggler on the breast inflicting a painful but not a dangerous wound day after day the storm of war continued the walls of the citadel were strong and the bombardment inflicted but little injury the sharpshooters within the fortress struck down many of the assailants at great distances the bee hunter writes crockett is about the quickest on the trigger and the best rifle shot we have in the fort i have already seen him bring down eleven of the enemy and at such a distance that we all thought it would be a waste of ammunition to attempt it provisions were beginning to become scarce and the citadel was so surrounded that it was impossible for the garrison to cut its way through the lines and escape under the date of february twenty eighth crockett writes in his journal last night our hunters brought in some corn and had a brush with a scout from the enemy beyond gunshot of the fort they put the scout to flight and got in without injury they bring accounts that the settlers are flying in all quarters in dismay leaving their possessions to the mercy of the ruthless invader who is literally engaged in a war of extermination more brutal than the untutored savage of the desert could be guilty of slaughter is indiscriminate sparing neither sex age nor condition buildings have been burnt down farms laid waste and santa anna appears determined to verify his threat and convert the blooming paradise into a howling wilderness for just one fair crack at that rascal even at a hundred yards distance i would bargain to break my betsy and never pull trigger again my name's not crockett if i wouldn't get glory enough to appease my stomach for the remainder of my life the scouts report that a settler by the name of johnson flying with his wife and three little children when they reached the colorado left his family on the shore and waded into the river to see whether it would be safe to ford with his wagon when about the middle of the river he was seized by an alligator and after a struggle was dragged under the water and perished the helpless woman and her babes were discovered gazing in agony on the spot by other fugitives who happily passed that way and relieved them those who fight the battles experience but a small part of the privation suffering and anguish that follow in the train of ruthless war the cannonading continued at intervals throughout the day and all hands were kept up to their work the next day he writes i had a little sport this morning before breakfast the enemy had planted a piece of ordnance within gunshot of the fort during the night and the first thing in the morning they commenced a brisk cannonade point-blank against the spot where i was snoring i turned out pretty smart and mounted the rampart the gun was charged again a fellow stepped forth to touch her off but before he could apply the match i let him have it and he keeled over a second stepped up snatched the match from the hand of the dying man but the juggler who had followed me handed me his rifle and the next instant the mexican was stretched on the earth beside the first a third came up to the cannon my companion handed me another gun and i fixed him off in like manner a fourth then a fifth seized the match who both met with the same fate then the whole party gave it up as a bad job and hurried off to the camp 
leaving the cannon ready charged where they had planted it. I came down, took my bitters, and went to breakfast. In the course of a week the Mexicans lost three hundred men, but still reinforcements were continually arriving, so that their numbers were on the rapid increase. The garrison no longer cherished any hope of receiving aid from abroad. Under the date of March 4th and 5th, 1836, we have the last lines which Crockett ever penned. March 4th. Shells have been falling into the fort like hail during the day, but without effect. About dusk, in the evening, we observed a man running towards the fort, pursued by about half a dozen of the Mexican cavalry. The bee-hunter immediately knew him to be the old pirate, who had gone to Goliad, and, calling to the two hunters, he sallied out of the fort, to the relief of the old man, who was hard-pressed. I followed close after. Before we reached the spot, the Mexicans were close on the heels of the old man, who stopped suddenly, turned short upon his pursuers, discharged his rifle, and one of the enemy fell from his horse. The chase was renewed, but finding that he would be overtaken and cut to pieces, he now turned again, and, to the amazement of the enemy, became the assailant in his turn. He clubbed his gun and dashed among them like a wounded tiger, and they fled like sparrows. By this time we reached the spot, and, in the ardor of the moment, followed some distance before we saw that our retreat to the fort was cut off by another detachment of cavalry. Nothing was to be done but fight our way through. We were all of the same mind. "'Go ahead!' cried I, and they shouted, "'Go ahead, Colonel!' We dashed among them, and a bloody conflict ensued. They were about twenty in number, and they stood their ground. After the fight had continued about five minutes, a detachment was seen issuing from the fort to our relief, and the Mexicans scampered off, leaving eight of their comrades dead upon the field. But we did not escape unscathed, for both the pirate and the bee-hunter were mortally wounded, and I received a sabre-cut across the forehead. The old man died without speaking, as soon as we entered the fort. We bore my young friend to his bed, dressed his wounds, and I watched beside him. He lay, without complaint or manifesting pain, until about midnight, when he spoke, and I asked him if he wanted anything. Nothing, he replied, but drew a sigh that seemed to rend his heart, as he added, Poor Kate of Nacogdoches. His eyes were filled with tears as he continued. Her words were prophetic, Colonel. And then he sang in a low voice that resembled the sweet notes of his devoted Kate. But whom came the saddle, a bloody to see, and haem came the steed, but haem never came he. He spoke no more, and a few minutes after died. Poor Kate, who will tell this to thee? The romantic bee-hunter had a sweetheart by the name of Kate in Nacogdoches. She seems to have been a very affectionate and religious girl. In parting, she had presented her lover with a Bible, and in anguish of spirit had expressed her fears that he would never return from his perilous enterprise. The next day Crockett simply writes, March 5th. Pop, pop, pop. Boom, boom, boom. Throughout the day. No time for memorandums now. Go ahead. Liberty and independence forever. Before daybreak on the 6th of March, the citadel of the Alamo was assaulted by the whole Mexican army, then numbering about 3,000 men. Santa Anna in person commanded. The assailants swarmed over the works and into the fortress. The battle was fought with the utmost desperation until daylight. Six only of the garrison then remained alive. They were surrounded, and they surrendered. Colonel Crockett was one. He, at the time, stood alone in an angle of the fort, 
like a lion at bay. His eyes flashed fire, his shattered rifle in his right hand, and in his left a gleaming bowie-knife streaming with blood. His face was covered with blood, flowing from a deep gash across his forehead. About twenty Mexicans, dead and dying, were lying at his feet. The juggler was also there dead. With one hand he was clenching the hair of a dead Mexican, while with the other he had driven his knife to the haft in the bosom of his foe. The Mexican general Castrillon, to whom the prisoners had surrendered, wished to spare their lives. He led them to that part of the fort where Santa Anna stood, surrounded by his staff. As Castrillon marched his prisoners into the presence of the president, he said, "'Sir, here are six prisoners I have taken alive. How shall I dispose of them?' Santa Anna seemed much annoyed and said, "'Have I not told you before how to dispose of them? Why do you bring them to me?' Immediately several Mexicans commenced plunging their swords into the bosoms of the captives. Crockett, entirely unarmed, sprang, like a tiger, at the throat of Santa Anna. But before he could reach him, a dozen swords were sheathed in his heart, and he fell without a word or a groan. But there still remained upon his brow the frown of indignation, and his lip was curled with a smile of defiance and scorn. And thus was terminated the earthly life of this extraordinary man. In this narrative it has been the object of the writer faithfully to record the influences under which Colonel Crockett was reared, and the incidents of his wild and wondrous life, leaving it with the reader to form his own estimate of the character which these exploits indicate. David Crockett has gone to the tribunal of his God, there to be judged for all the deeds done in the body. Beautifully and consolingly the psalmist has written, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. End of chapter and end of David Crockett, His Life and Adventures Recording by Brett Downey